I'm Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from Mauritius is a Dr. Amina Gurib Fakim, who was the sixth president and the first female president of the Republic of Mauritius. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a great honor and a great pleasure to be speaking to you. Well, it, the honor and, and the pleasure is, is certainly ours to be able to broadcast your message across the continent. Yes. To well, begin with... Your career has, has traversed three core spheres of society, from academia into business and more recently into politics, as a biodiversity scientist, entrepreneur, and having served as the sixth president and first female president of the Republic of Mauritius. Starting with the political front, there have been less than a handful of female presidents on the African continent. So reflecting on your time in office, what would you say have been some of the most memorable accomplishments? Um, thank you. And as you say, uh, and as we speak, in fact, there is, uh, there is no woman at leadership position and, or women in power, for that matter, on the continent at that level. So already I think we are, we are starting at a deficit. Uh, but uh, again, the fact that we've had uh, women at this position, I think, clearly shows that it is it is doable, it's possible. But we need to actually bring on board the conditions, the ecosystem that will help bring more women at the level of power. And here, I want to make a difference because every time we talk about uh, we have a conversation about women, we talk about women in leadership. There are many women in leadership positions across the continent and worldwide. But what we don't see is women in power. And if we want to make a, di a difference on the ground, we need to have more women in power so that we can leverage whatever we feel necessary to improve the condition of women on the continent. Now, having said this, um, you asked for uh, what I feel have been you know, kind of uh, the, the, the highlights of my presidency. You know, I, I come into the presidency uh, not as a politician. Uh, I come in as a scientist. I come in as an entrepreneur. And to me, these are two very vital uh, components which our continent needs as we speak. We are talking about a continent which is young. We're talking about a continent that is very focused uh, towards the, the, the future in as much as by 2035, the continent, the African continent, will be the biggest supplier of, uh, of you know, the human capital in terms of, of development. So I think what I, I, I have been able to do, or at least I feel I have been able to contribute to the conversation, is bring to the fore the necessity to empower our youth. Empower our youth for technology, empower our youth into the literacy of science. Now, why it's important to have this literacy, uh, this literacy in science, is that for the first time in the history of the United Nations, in September 2015, the United Nations adopted the Sustainable Development Goals, where science is central to the to to the future of mankind. So, recognizing this, and I think what I have been able through my discourse, and I still do it right now, is to bring on board the notion 
that we need to empower the youth with the tools of science and technology and innovation. Because when we have innovation, when we actually make uh, our youth think in terms of innovative practices, it's only then that the mindset will change and they will become entrepreneurs and they will become job creators and not job seekers as we have been made to believe all along. Because, again, with the way things are evolving on the continent, there is no government that will be able to create that many posts, 11 million graduates plus landing in the job market every year, it's impossible to create that many posts. But if these young people become entrepreneurs, become job creators, we are going to change the dynamics completely. So my message has been, and will still be uh, post-presidency, is how we need to leverage, how to create the ecosystem so we can make more scientists and we can make more entrepreneurs, we can make more innovators, and we disrupt the system as we speak. That sounds like a great legacy to continue after establishing the inroads being in office. Yes. The first point that you raised was about having more women in power. And to be honest, I have been doing this show for going on four and a half years. And you are so right. We speak about women in leadership, but we do not speak about women in power. Mm. Yes, we don't speak about women in power because there are so many constraints. Uh, first of all, to put that woman in power, you know, there are so many, con- uh, I would say constraint, not in negative, not in a negative way. I'm saying constraint as we see it. We see, whenever we talk about a woman, when a girl aspires and looks up to a woman, what does she see in that woman? She sees a mother. She sees a wife. She sees a daughter. And then she will talk about, she sees the woman as an entrepreneur. She will see the woman as a scientist. She will see the woman as a politician. So that woman has to adopt, has to deliver on so many roles, on so many issues, that it's practically sometimes impossible to, 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 to be able to satisfy everybody. But if that woman is at the table of discussion, is at the table where decisions are being taken, the decision taken when the woman is there is going to be vastly different if that woman is not at the table. So this is why we need to have, but having, having said this, even if you are at the table, even if you bring in the contribution, you need many more women to actually lay out this roadmap to improve the livelihoods of women. Now, why do I say this is that since Beijing 1995, if you look at what the intention, the pledges were in 1995, we look at it 20 years later. I'm sorry to say, Malia, but we have gone back. Exactly. We are not making progress. And this is where I feel we need to keep on hammering the table to make sure that the, wo- the voice of the woman is heard. And like you said, at this point in time, there are no female presidents, no female in leadership, in power at this level yes. across our continent. Uh, yes. And I I look at this, and and literally there has been a handful. There was yourself. There was Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, Joyce Bander. And we Mm -hmm. absolutely don't have enough presence of women. But Mm -hmm. do you think that this is, um, and I I, I know it's a a complex issue, of, of a case of having greater acceptance from countries to believe in women, to nominate them for these posts? Um, 
You know, this issue is, is indeed is very complex. We can have a whole conversation on, on just this issue. I think, first of all, we need to get the acceptance, right? The acceptance from society, because we live in a in a in a, in a, in a very complex societal uh, kind of uh, situation, because uh, we leverage in religion, we leverage in culture, we leverage it, we leverage in also uh, traditions. And we leverage all these, and all these tend to bring down the capacity for the woman to rise. And this is something that we need to be able to 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 actually address, because if we are going to be constrained within these walls of of all these what I've just said, we will see even less women uh, rising. But again, something I must point out, and I would like to say this again: uh, there is a French word which I will use here. It's called marinage. Right, is kind of being a patron, being um, a role model, uh, taking the woman by the hand, taking the woman who's trying to rise by the hand. This is the responsibility of women. But unfortunately, Maria, I'm sorry to have to say this, but I will cite here Madeleine Albright, who says that there is a special place in hell for those women who don't help women. And this is the reality as we speak today. There are so few women who want to help other women and this is something that I want to actually address. Uh, eventually, I will set up my own foundation, my own structure, where I would like to empower that young girl, and I would like to develop this collegial attitude among these girls so that they learn to appreciate, they learn to value each other as sisters and take them and move up. One thing we haven't understood, that if we move together, we'll move up together, and if we don't, if we decide to go down together, we'll all go down together. Mm. So it's up to us to really make that difference. And it, it sets the tone. It, it rises, it brings up the ladder, it shows that level of development from which, almost as a platform, where people can rise further and, and aspire to, to greater achievements. But it yes. almost seems as though the baseline keeps disappearing. And if we're yes. not together, we, the baseline will continue to uh, disappear. Yes. The baseline continues to disappear, A, because we don't have the numbers. And that's one thing that we need to be, to be very, very candid about, is that the numbers aren't there. The numbers aren't there because we're not promoting sufficient girls into that, into that direction. We're not pushing enough girls in that direction because there is no program for mentorship. So, you know, it's all the negatives that are adding up. And we, we recognize this negative, but it's up to us now to see to it how we can bring up some of these indicators that will see to it that numbers are there. The critical mass has to be there. Until we don't have this critical mass, we will not be making headway. So you've raised, you've raised the issues and you've also raised tentatively some of the solutions, whether it is from uh, programs for mentorship, looking at mechanisms to increase and attain critical mass. Within the, the critical mass element, is this about quotas? Sometimes quotas are controversial. I feel that this is a, a means of providing a ticket to the game. Uh, what, what is your view on, on quotas, for instance? You know, again, this is something we have to be very, 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 we have to be again very candid about it. When we talk about quota, we're still talking about the magic of 30%. If we talk about parity, we talk about 50-50. So again, we don't want latitude. We want, we want women to be accepted uh, for what they are, for what they can contribute. Again, I will quickly correct this. We need a system, and this has been put into practice in many Nordic countries, for example, we will need a system of quotas. 
We will need government to be much more proactive. You know, at some point in Nordic countries, if a board, for example, did not have sufficient number of women, the government was able to shut down that, uh, that institution. And if I'm not mistaken, that level was something like 40%. Exactly. So we're still talking quota here, 40%. We are talking parity. Parity will be more. I mean, Rwanda has done so well because they have gone beyond. I think they are almost uh, 52 or 60, something like that. I this. think I they're 60, the 61, uh, according to right. Interparliamentary Union a couple of months ago. Right. So already this is already a, a very good uh, it, it's a flagship country you know, in terms of what we have done. So here we're talking about parity. And I think if we look at the leadership of uh, President Kagame, he has shown that it's possible, and if you look at the indicators for that country, I am in, in, I'm in awe because the country is moving. And every, in fact, last week, I mean this week, I saw, for example, on the MIT Solve program, three Rwandan startups which, which, are, which are making headway. So I think it's clear that if women flourishes, if women uh, actually uh, you know, do well, the continent will do well. And this is the narrative that we have to keep on in our messaging all along. But to begin with, we need to empower, we need to educate. And again, despite all the major advances that have been made, we're still behind in terms of empowering that girl child uh, to get the right education to be there. And again, why do we do that? I'll just give you a very simple example. Look at, the, at our textbooks. A couple of years ago, on the 8th of March, I had the pleasure of, of, of being in a panel. And we asked many girls in the, in the room, Give me the name of some prominent women scientists, the name of some prominent women entrepreneur. You'd be shocked to know that many of them didn't even know that Marie Curie existed. Now, where did they learn this? They will learn it in books. So our books have to be made gender neutral as far as possible. And another thing that we also have to be very, very mindful in terms of infrastructure, many schools, many girls at the age are in puberty, they miss out one week from class because they don't have toilets. So these are the basic amenities we have to provide to see to it that this girl is happy, this girl is comfortable in the environment, and this girl has the means and has the, the appropriate infrastructure and ecosystem where she will be comfortable, where she can be herself, where she can give the best of what she can. The infrastructure element's vitally important because if you think from a, a menstruating yeah. point of view, if you add up those weeks in a year, effectively she's out yeah. of class for 25%. Exactly. And there's no way you can, you can catch up with a quarter of your learning every year. It, it just lags, yeah. lags further. You are listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band, also available on DSTV Channel 802. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Joining us on the line today from Mauritius is a Dr. Amina Gorib Fakim, who was the sixth president and the first female president of the Republic of Mauritius. I came across a quote which has been attributed to you where, where you stated African women are at the heart of the agenda for the continent's development, but their contributions are rarely assessed and recognized. And mm -hmm. I think with what you've just said here on, on textbooks, on, on people not being aware of what women's achievements are, that this is a real problem. And, and this issue definitely goes 
beyond just improving visibility and, and publicity. How do you think we can shift the balance? Um, again, we have to go back to fundamentals. If you look at, for example, uh, women's rights, uh, if you look at uh, rights in terms of uh, accessing land, um, rights in terms of opening in some countries even in bank accounts, um, if you look at uh, the, the, what is made available to a woman who is trying to create her own business, and you find all the negatives there. There's no way that she will be able to actually make headway in these conditions. And now if you look at the contribution of women, this is where I feel that the contribution of women are not, uh, the contributions are not really valued for, for what they really are. Just look at the, the, the field of agriculture. There is no doubt that women feed the continent. And yet, these same women, they either do not get the necessary means to actually upscale the business, they do not get the necessary training to actually uh, help uh, produce more on, 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 on whatever she's, she's, you know, all the negatives are there. So this is what I mean that the, the contribution of women is, you know, is not really valued for what, what, for, what, for what they do. I mean, we're not going to go into the narrative of unpaid work and women being a housewife and not being recognized for this. I mean, this is again will be another debate in itself. But let us look at the hard facts. Let us get back to brass tacks. Let us look at uh, the areas of, of, of agriculture. Let's look at the field of education. All these, uh, all these areas have been feminized. But still, we do not recognize them for, you know, for, 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 what, for what they've done to society and to the family and to the rest. So these are things that we need to have discussions on, and these are things that we need to keep on talking to make the society recognize the, the, the critical importance uh, of, the, of the contribution of women in these areas. And do you think that comes from government and policies, uh, media exposure, um, looking at showcasing women on platforms, whether it is business forums, um, looking at, I, I, for instance, farmer yield achievements? You know, I will tell you one thing. It sounds very, very, very simple and very basic. We need to start with one family. So changes will come one family at a time. And then we move outside. We move outside to the community. We move outside to the village. We move outside to the region. And then we move outside countrywide. But the change will start happening one family at a time. And again, this is something that may sound ridiculous, but uh, when my kids were growing up, I would say to my son, I'm sorry, but you know, they're washing up to do today. And he would look at me twice as why. I said, you know, it's your turn today. Yes, your sister did it. So this is something that we need to bring on board at the home level, that there is no difference in terms of, of deliverables. They, they have to deliver equally. And uh, so this is the kind of thing that we need to keep changing. And as, as you rightly said, the media has a very important role to play as well, so as to, to actually remove all these gender stereotyping. And also learn to blow the trumpets of those who are winning, those who are making it. I mean, it's up to us. And again, here, I call on the solidarity of women to say, I have met another sister out there and she's doing this. So learn to value each other's uh, competence, learn to value each other's achievement. I think through this, through this network of women that we can develop, we can grow together, this is how we will be able to change this mindset. But again, I don't see this happening. And this is, again, what I feel very sad <laughs> because 
there's so much we can do but through the kind of the multiply effect by the networking that we can bring together to, to, to make sure that women contribution is valued. The other challenge, and it's it's coming to mind because of some of the, the, the recent conversations that we've had on, on the show in the last couple of weeks, where there is definitely evidence of generational changes. So um, a, a woman in the family, how she brings up her children, how her children bring up their children. But it almost seems that it's it's taking a generation to direct change. And I, I wish there was a way that we could escalate or, or scale up to get greater traction and improvement more more rapidly. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, Malia, it, it brings down to the law, to the law of the land, and there is a lot of reticence. Um, you talk about generation. I mean, let's take the world. I mean, generation. I mean, again, I have to look at. Uh, various institutions. For me, the medical world is one institution, the uh, teaching world is one, one institution. Uh, if you look at it like this, all these, if I, if I look at Mauritius, for example, they have all been feminized. South Africa too. There are many more. Yeah. Teaching, medical, illegal, you name it. But in the political world where the policy are being made, and this is where it remains solely, mainly men. And this is where, that's why I come back again to my, what I said earlier on, this is where we need more women in power. Because if you're not going to change this narrative at that level, you will still, 200 years down the line, we will still be having this conversation. So you need to change the law. You need to change the, the, the entire system in a way that the woman, the girl child, is more empowered. And here, if I come back again to Mauritius, we still do not have a system where we'll be encouraging more women in politics. They've been talking about this famous 30%. But, again, generation-wise, it, it is very difficult for some of the white-haired men to accept young women coming on board. And when they do try to make it, I mean, there is, uh, you can be assured that uh, he or she will be, uh, she will be brought down big time. So this is, this is what, what, what I, I, I mean to say, that we need to have more women, we need to relook at our legal system, because if we don't have um, the gender-friendly legislations, again, we will not be making headway. Well, in an ideal world, if we have more women in power, if we have the ability to drive change within policy reformation, if we gain numbers in critical portfolios, whether that is in disciplines of education, medicine, the, the legal front, and if we're able to unite more in, in, like you say, the sisterhood of being able to recognize and complement one another's competencies that maybe that could galvanize a movement which could direct change more quickly because everyone is unified. Well, the, I think the statistics, actually, there are statistics to show that countries that have maintained gender parity, countries that have uh, kind of really uh, made good use of the talent of women, these are countries that have uh, uh, better economic growth. Because you cannot, we cannot look at the scenario of the way the world is moving where we'll be leaving 52% of the human capital behind. There's no way that we will be able to make progress. You need to leverage in this 52%. And how do you do that is to make sure that the talent of that girl is valued for what it is worth. 
And again, it comes back to the same old discussion. How do we bring her there? And this is, I think, the job that we have to give ourselves uh, to see to it that that girl has the, the, the ability, is, is kind of has got the right encouragement, the right uh, kind of, uh, um, you know, mentoring. Uh, there, of course, at the other end, there are the right role models for, for her to look up to. So this is how we will bring the girl up and, and, and ensure that this is done. Because statistics show clearly that when women are empowered, the economy flourishes. So if, if this is the case, that's the bottom line, I think it's in the interest of everyone, every government, every country, to ensure that the women's competence is, is taken seriously. And that it starts as a young girl. It starts very early. It starts at the home. It starts in the community. It starts at school. And this is where, if you want to make a dent, we have to start at that very basic level. And I can tell you, uh, at personal level, I went into sciences because I had very motivated teachers. And uh, when I went to the career guidance officer with an old man, he said to me, why do you want to do science? I said, because I enjoy it and I like it. And she said to me, no, there's science for boys. You should be doing something else. And if you, even if you do do sciences, by the time you come back, there'll be no job for you. Because this is, again, an area for boys. I mean, this is the kind of narrative you're hearing. And it is not very different now, uh, because in some areas of science and, and engineering, for example, you still don't see the presence of women. So it is something which is in the subconscious of many people. But if you start with the, at a very young age, you tell that girl that she can do anything. She's able to do anything. This is where we will make this kind of, this will be a game changer. And uh, this is again something I'm going to spend some time doing because I feel that if you do that, if you encourage the girl, you tell her she can do it, she will be able to do anything. I'm glad you were talking about education and some of your experiences because that that goes into the next question that I I wanted to talk about or or topic rather. Mm that education is a critical skill and a resource which contributes to girls' and women's development, both for the improvement and involvement of themselves, but also for the betterment of their families, whether that is greater opportunities from a career diversification perspective, increased earnings, improving health rates and mortality rates. You earned your PhD in chemistry from Exeter University in the UK, You've also served as Dean of the Faculty of Science and Pro Vice-Chancellor at the University of Mauritius. You've worked at the Mauritius Research Foundation as Manager for for Research, and you founded the Center of Phytotherapy Research. And all of that wouldn't have been possible if you had listened to someone telling you that this is not a job for girls. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But having said this, uh, it had been made possible because I had a father who had the vision that his daughter and his son should be given the same opportunity. So I come back again to the family nucleus because it's, it's possible when the father and the brother, they believe in their sister. So it starts one family at a time. But having said this, uh, to be able to, to, to live all these, all these lives, all these dreams, all these aspirations, you also need to have a supportive partner. Yes, because without a supportive partner, you will not be able to make headway anywhere. So <laughs> I have to concede that uh, having a, uh, an understanding husband and understanding partner does help a, a, a lot. <laughs> but that allows that allows for the growth of, of of both of you, and that there are no constraints within your environment. 
Yeah, there should not be any constraint. That that girl should be given free hand to live her dream and uh, to live uh, whatever her talents allow her to do. But there is something else that we should be mindful also on the continent. This is something that we, we don't really talk about. Is we need to have a society which is very inclusive. Because uh, something that uh, maybe in some continent, in some spheres, they are more mindful about, maybe we're not doing enough to be as inclusive as possible. Here I tend to think of those uh, children who are living with some, uh, some form of disability, but yet they are talented to do other things. Uh, how do we level the talent? This is something that uh, we need to, to see to it, that as a society, as we move on, we don't leave those late developers, and we don't leave those who have talent. And I think there are so many examples in the world that shows that uh, the world would have been a, a poorer place if those countries did not add value to those who are living with uh, autism, for example, um, who are living with other kind of handicap, and yet they had so much to offer, but not enough value has been given uh, to their potential. And potentially with the technology developments that we have, it provides opportunities yes. for people yes. who were previously denied them. Yeah, we, uh, the technology is here, and but uh, again, just to give an example, if somebody on a wheelchair, uh, how uh, friendly is a building, for example, to help that, that person? I mean, these are things that we have to be mindful in our, in our development, but technology is there even if the person has to work from home but we should be able to give them the necessary infrastructure uh, for them to be able to, to, to bring in the contribution uh, to, to the table. Of course, having that almost, I think the expression is universal design accessibility. Yes. Exactly. Turning towards a more personal perspective, you've already mentioned yes. some of the support that you had received from your father as well as from, from your husband. One of the questions that I ask all my guests who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields is about the factors that they consider have contributed to their success. Some people speak about hard work, others talk of perseverance or a particular person in their lives. In your opinion, what would you say have been some of your key drivers? Um, they have been my children. I have always wanted to be uh, that role model for them, especially my daughter. Uh, she's a highly motivated young lady now, she's 20, and uh, I have always lived uh, for them. And when people ask me what has been my biggest achievement, I say to them the fact that I have been able to be a mother, because it is not a given, and the fact that nature allows you uh, to be able to give birth, uh, it's, uh, it's an amazing experience, and uh, I have lived my life uh, professionally, uh, even uh, as a business, in the business, and everything else around them. And this has given me a lot of satisfaction to know that I have been able to, uh, to give them something so that you know, they are the, the citizens of tomorrow, and to me, they, ha they are my biggest achievement. And have there been any particularly strong women in your life that have contributed to your development? Oh, my, sure, my mother. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> she was there all along, pushing me all the time. You know, my mother has been a, a fantastic, uh, a very intelligent uh, woman, and, um, but has not been given the opportunity precisely uh, to have had education. And uh, she knew that she had been denied that education from a very young age, 
and I think she felt uh, very bad about it, but of course the conditions were what they were, uh, she could not uh, do it. So, but she was determined that uh, her daughter one day would have an education. Her daughter will carry on. So the biggest uh, push for me uh, from afar and from near has been my mother. And without her push, without her encouragement, I probably would not be here today speaking to you. Oh, testament to womanhood there. Yes, can, exactly. you, <laughs> can you share with us some of your pivotal moments in life growing up? Um, the pivotal moment, uh, um, you know, one thing that, uh, again, this is uh, what we have just said, is that people don't believe in you. People don't believe in women. When I was going to secondary school, um, people were saying uh, to my father, you know, why do you want to educate your daughter? She will get married, she will leave. So the first thing that uh, was important to me is when I came home with my O-level exam result. That was the first one, you know, because it's, uh, it, it's big. It was big in my days. Um, getting that, and I thought, wow, you know, I did so well. And uh, people had to stop and think, you know, this is a girl. I mean, she's done this, so it, it's, it, which means it's possible. Then the next big moment was when I was leaving the country to study abroad. I mean, that was a big moment because nobody, no girl had left the country to go and study, let alone to travel alone and to go there. A different language as well, wouldn't it? Because you're, you're French-speaking yes. in Mauritius. Yes, yes. So I had to go to English-speaking country. Of course, go to England in the 1970s where there's no communication hardly at all. Um, adapting to a new environment, new food, uh, new weather, you know, just everything. <laughs> so that was quite, uh, so I decided then also that I'm not going to sink, I'm going to swim uh, against all odds. And uh, so these have been very, very important moments uh, in my life. And again, made possible because of the investment of my parents into, and the investment and also the belief that their daughter could make it. And they were always supportive and they still are. And what would you say has had, if there is one thing, I'm sure that there's multiple, has had the biggest impact to make you the person you are today? Uh, again, it's, uh, it's very difficult to pinpoint uh, one thing, but I think it has been the belief that my father had in me. I, I always felt that I could never uh, do anything wrong that will uh, kind of make him uh, uh, ashamed of, of his daughter. So... His trust in me has been uh, perhaps the most fundamental uh, thing that I needed. And, uh, you know, this was what kept me going all along. Everything I was doing, I was thinking, will my father be proud of this? And uh, so this was uh, the most important. He was there, the pillar uh, behind me growing up and achieving things at academic level initially. And moving towards the future, what would you say is next on your agenda? Well, I am a double retiree now. <laughs> I am living my fourth life, and uh, this fourth life will begin, as I said, uh, towards leveraging whatever I have acquired over the past three lives um, to help uh, the youth of my country, the youth of Africa. And uh, because, as I said, I will be setting up the, the foundation, and uh, so we will be working in that, in that space. And also uh, keep on raising awareness on uh, what is going on in this world, especially 
in terms of climate change, for example, in terms of uh, biodiversity loss. I'm already engaged with quite a few organizations which are addressing these uh, because we don't seem to realize um, that uh, biodiversity underpins life on Earth. And if we, do, if, we are, if, we, if we tend to think that we, are, we live outside our ecosystem, we are doomed, we live within the ecosystem, we live uh, as one of the components of the ecosystem, and we need to be made aware that the world is changing, the climate is changing, with all the consequences that this will have on our livelihoods. So raise awareness, keep participating in all these activities, and uh, leave behind a legacy. Because a legacy, people tend to think of it as being, you know, when you're in a position of power. No. For me, legacy is how many lives have touched, how many lives have improved. And I keep saying in my conversation to the young people, your success will be my legacy. Your fourth life sounds like it will be even busier than the past three lives. <laughs> it is already. <laughs> but, but one which is so much about giving back and looking to, as you said, it's almost like living the lives and the futures of, of the people yes. you leave behind, the imprint. Yes, that's right. And lastly, as we close out the conversation today, could you please yes. share a, a few words of wisdom or inspiration that you'd like to pass on to our young ladies listening to us on the continent? Mm-hmm. To the young ladies, I will say that um, keep dreaming. Never stop dreaming. Uh, life, uh, whatever your career or your life personal or whatever, will never be uh, easy. You will fall down. You will rise but never give up. Never give up, ever. That's my message. And be passionate. Enjoy what you do, because if you're passionate about something or about a cause, you will not have to work a single day in your life. Fantastic words of inspiration. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time for for joining us on the show today. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Dr. Amina Gurab Fakim, who was the sixth president and first female president of the Republic of Mauritius. Music